He's uploading the virus. Eagle One, the package is being delivered. Hello out there on the internet. I am Matthew Galt, and this is Cyber. The government, it's coming for your gas stoves. Recent remarks from Richard Trumka Jr., one of the three commissioners with the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, sparked outrage in some circles. Pretty soon, politicians were sharing images of gas ranges above the words, come and take it. That's a sentiment I'm sure John Henry Moore would deeply appreciate. Why does it feel lately... Like, the only war America is any good at fighting is the culture war. What is the actual science behind gas stoves? And hey, why does C-SPAN look so good lately? With us today to work all of this out, it's Motherboard senior writer Aaron Gordon. That's right, today is another episode of Matthew and Aaron Do America. I am once again apologizing to our international listeners. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on to the show. One day I want to come on and talk about somewhere else in the world i'm sure they're all, it's all very interesting and uh yeah we need to we need to put that on the bucket list we do we need to i think we it needs to happen way before any of us kick the bucket uh but you're just too good at pointing out america's foibles aaron i'm sorry this is going to be, I feel like today's episode is going to be one of those conversations that the rest of the world listeners will really appreciate because a lot of what i'm going to say they're already tremendously familiar with and like, like, in, we're going to talk about like induction cooktops and electric stoves. And a lot of listeners in the rest of the world are going to be like, what the fuck is so confusing about this? I don't understand because they're much more popular abroad. So it's like, so I feel like this will have the bemusement effect for a lot of people in the rest of the world. Yeah. People in Europe will be listening to this, uh, thinking, why is, how has America gotten to this place where they're fighting about gas stoves? Um, let's talk about why America's fighting about gas stoves. Uh, So you've got this new story. Here comes the gas stove culture wars. What, what, what happened in the last 24 hours? We're recording this on, indeed we're recording this on January 11th. You may be hearing it a little bit later. Um, And I think I may have news for you. In fact, Aaron, but what, let's, what happened yesterday that kicked all of this off? Okay. So yesterday, A bureaucrat that literally nobody, I'm going to, not literally, virtually nobody had ever heard of uh, named Richard Trumka Jr., who was a commissioner of the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, was giving an interview to Bloomberg News. And that's just about the most boring lead I could possibly imagine, Um, except that Bloomberg then wrote a news story based on something he said uh, about gas stoves. And what he said basically was that, like, there's this you know, to paraphrase the conversation, there's a growing amount of evidence that gas stoves are not good for us. And the Consumer Product Safety Commission is an agency that is supposed to regulate and, if necessary, ban products that are harmful to the American public. Now, the, act, the direct quote, the direct relevant quote here was he said, any option is on the table. Products that can't be made safe can be banned. Now, in the abstract, this is like a totally uncontroversial thing to say. This is exactly what the CPSC is for. This is like like most people don't want products for sale that harm us and kill us like as a fundamental aspect of their operation. But people are very weird about like gas stoves in the U.S. And I think there are weird people about this elsewhere, too. But just um, it's particularly strong in the U.S. for reasons I'm sure we'll get into as part of like the larger culture wars. And so this remark got picked up by uh, mostly conservative politicians 
who uh, framed it as like big government is coming to take your gas stoves. Um, and that was basically, and that was like uh, exactly how some congressmen described it. One um, uh, congressman, Ronnie Jackson, who of course is from Texas, tweeted, uh, and I quote, I'll never, never is in all caps, give up my gas stove. If the maniacs in the White House come for my stove, they can pry it from my cold, dead hands. And then the the rest is in all caps. Come and take it to exclamation points. Uh, And so that's that's where the rhetoric got. uh, That's where the rhetoric got us. Are you familiar with what the invocation come and take it means to a Texan? Uh, Is it about guns? I feel like this is going to be about guns. It's about a big gun. It's about one okay. very specific uh, giant gun, like the one at the Alamo. No, oh man! Wow, I'm about to <laughs> I'm about to teach everyone that's listening something deeply stupid about uh, Texan Texas history. So, um, have you seen the flag? It's something you often see uh, a side, like the "Don't Tread on Me" snake, uh, where it's a big white flag with a single black star and then a little cannon, and it says "Come and take it." Have you ever seen this? Rings a bell. Okay, so this is from the Battle of Gonzales, which is the battle that started uh, the Texas Revolution, um, where they had a cannon that had been donated. It was a shitty bronze cannon, uh, and the 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 Mexican army was coming up, and they're like, "Hey, we need to take your cannon. Like, this isn't you shouldn't have this." And the Texans were <laughs> like, "Hey, fuck you, come and take it." Um, and then this is how things started. Now it's like Texas history is obviously much more complicated and stupid. Um, but that's a whole other separate podcast. It is, I would say that, so it has become in the eyes of Texans and it's spread now throughout the rest of the country. Um, this kind of mythical battle, uh, and it goes, it goes back even farther because supposedly the come and take it is what Leonidas said to the Persian King, at the battle of Thermopylae, which is dramatized in the movie 300. And so the Texans are making this connection between the battle at Gonzales uh, or the battle of Gonzales and three, the, you know, the battle of hot gates for it's, it's all, yeah, it's all, it's all very weird. Um, And then so like that, it's this other thing that is very important in the mythology of uh, being a Texan along with the battle of the Alamo. Um, okay, well, now we can add gas stoves to it, I guess. Yeah, when I saw, because it, it caught my eye because I saw they had, I'd seen people drawing a picture of a gas range with, with like, in place of the the uh, the cannon on the flag. So it's the Black Star, the gas range, then come and take it below that. And I was like, oh, God, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It wasn't a person. It was Congressman Mark Alford from Missouri who did this. He replied to Ronnie Jackson's tweet with that, like, drawing. It has, like, a, it's exactly as you described. And now I understand that drawing better because I was like, what's that Black Star all about? Yeah, but, yeah now yeah, I know. There you go. Yeah, that's the, the flag that's meant to invoke the memory of the Battle of Gonzales and the Texas Revolution. Um, anyway... <laughs> So did you see that the, 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 the Biden white house, uh, kind of backtracked on this several hours ago? Yeah. I mean, they've been backtracking on it ever since Trumka first made this remark, right? Like, cause like there's no greater mistake you can make, I think in us politics than to say, you're going to ban something mm-hmm. that 40 million people use. I mean, like, that's just because even if you don't feel particularly here, here's like, 
kind of the crux of the issue. Even if you don't feel particularly strongly about gas versus electric stoves, if this is a completely new issue to you, what this sounds like is a bureaucratic headache in which people like government officials are going to like make you get rid of something that you currently give zero thought to and you have to figure out how to replace it and what that means for your life. And it just sounds inconvenient at best and like life altering in a bad way at worst. And so to a lot of ordinary people, this is something they can get worked up about just because it sounds inconvenient and like the worst thing that government can be which is like just a thorn in your side for no good reason and so that's like i think that's a reason another reason why the biden administration has just been like we are not touching this we are backtracking it like i'm not even going to get into all the ways in which you know what the cpsc can and can't do and how this has been totally misconstrued no, 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 that's my like, that's my next question actually is like do oh, they okay. even have the power to do what's being suggested here they absolutely do not have the power to come into your house with like armed agents and like at gunpoint remove your stove from your house, leaving you uh, cooking cooking lists. I don't know, like unable to cook food. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly bizarre. Like the whole the whole idea that like the government wants to come and take what's currently in your house is just ridiculous um, for reasons that like are both obvious and non-obvious. Like the obvious thing is the CPSC has no enforcement arm, you know, like, right. and like, they don't have any authority to do any of this. What they do is they issue recalls for dangerous products. They create standards for potentially dangerous pot products and they can ban the sale of new products. Right. And so like, that's where the idea of the ban came in when Trump cut, referred to it and obviously this would mean like you cannot you know if they went to this far extreme like if you needed to replace a gas oven that had died you could not buy a new one you would have to buy a used one if you were super into gas um but what was really the crux of the interview and like obviously got lost in the ensuing conversation was like he was really talking about regulations around emissions from gas stoves he was not necessarily saying that that would result in a ban um currently there basically are no product regulations around gas stoves which is actually quite bad and there should like i mean i think there's an excellent case that there should be but that's you know uh, uh kind of like a different thing from what the cpsc can and can't actually do so let's let's get into because i learned all of this in the last like 24 hours uh, it, it's one of these things where i don't have a gas stove um, i have an electric stove that i do absolutely hate uh, and we can get into the, the details of that in a minute. Uh, I prefer cooking on gas. Um, I did not know until recently that this is perhaps bad for all of us. <laughs> what is the what's the scientific evidence? Uh, why would there ever be? Con why would you consider doing a ban? Yeah. So what I'm the evidence I'm about to go through, and again, this is like. Not something that I am like a foremost expert on. I strongly encourage people to read up more on this um, on their own, you know, th through our article and through other resources um, if they're interested in learning more. But the upshot is we now have about 50 years of indoor environmental pollution research that is increasingly clear and I say that not as like a matter of scientific certainty, but like, you know, in the same way that 
it is now uncontroversial to say smoking leads to an increased risk in lung disease and heart disease. Um, it's increasingly clear that gas stoves lead to an increase or like basically poison our indoor environment, leading to an increased risk, especially in children in severe medical outcomes like severe asthma and other and some and some various lung ailments. Um, the evidence here has to do with a, a bunch of different um, emit uh, emissions, I guess would be the right way to say it. Um, including like super unsafe levels of nitrogen dioxide, which has been linked to all these negative health outcomes. And I mean, you can, this, this, this works on both like an individual appliance level. Like you can install indoor air monitors in your home and see the effect very clearly based on when you use the gas stove and other gas appliances versus when you don't. And it also works when looking at epidemiological data kind of as populations as a whole uh, depending on whether they use you know what type of cooking appliance or or home heating system they use Um, and that's just for the indoor that's just for indoor health and then there are there's also the uh, question of like pollution and emissions for the planet's health right Um, because these uh, because you know you're burning fossil fuels and these fossil fuels as we all know like emit carbon dioxide emit methane and those are very harmful for the environment as well. Now, t- cooking stoves usually don't emit as much uh, global warming particles as like your uh, other as like your home heating system, which is more harmful for the planet just because it runs more usually than your gas stove. But obviously, your gas stove will have the same effect. So it's kind of these two things. But I think the the one that really kind of galvanizes people uh especially on the policy side to do so, to convert from gas to electric is the indoor air pollution effect which we're really only starting to understand just how bad it can be um again we're talking about higher risks of respiratory illnesses in children here you know your own children as you're using these stoves um it's not a causal relationship obviously like it, the fact that you have a gas stove does not mean that your children will have respiratory illnesses, right? In the same way that it's entirely possible to be a smoker and live 90 years. But um, yeah, the evidence is just becoming increasingly clear that it leads to a higher population rate of respiratory illnesses. All right, Sabre listeners, we're going to pause there for a break. We'll be right back after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. All right, cyber listeners, welcome back. We were talking with Aaron Gordon about gas stoves. So why did this become a huge controversy? Why did this become part of the culture war fabric that is increasingly defining American political life? Uh, I mean, I think there are lots of things going on here. I think one thing is just like the obvious political dynamics, right? It just fits existing narratives very cleanly. Republicans get to hammer a Democrat administration of, you know, overreaching with the regulatory state. 
um, which is something they've loved to do for, for generations and I'm sure will continue to love to do for generations. But with gas stoves in particular, I think there's kind of something else at play here, which is, and I can't really weight these factors. It's kind of hard to tell, especially on an individual basis, like how much is motivating any particular person. But like, the one thing I'll just say, like, before I start, before I go into this is like, this is a debate that I've been paying a lot of attention to over the last year, completely by accident. Gas stoves or like regulatory stuff? Gas stoves. Gas stoves? Gas stoves. And the reason is because I've cooked with gas my entire life. I've never had a standard electric stove ever. And it was just something I didn't think about. About a year ago, the mo- as I was reading more about the harms of electric stoves, I came across... Um, you mean gas stoves? Yeah, yeah, sorry, gas stoves. I came across this like $100 induction cooktop. It's like a portable version that just plugs into a regular outlet. And it's like... You, it's it's like advertised mostly as being um, used for like camping purposes. But I was curious about induction cooktops because I'd heard a lot about them. So I bought one and I loved it so much that it's now our primary cooking surface. Like we use it instead of our gas stove most of the time because we think it's so much better. And I'll get into all the reasons why. But like first, I just wanted like say that like so i've become i see all these people like freaking out over losing their gas stove versus going electric and i didn't understand why i was like i don't i was like electric is better like why are all these people you've so never cooked paranoid on a, about it? you've never cooked exactly. on a shitty one exactly yes i've never cooked on a shitty one and this is what i've learned over the, like paying attention to these debates and it's like kind of fascinating to me to watch all these two sides of this debate talking completely past each other on this because one side is saying gas stoves are harmful they're you know they're bad for our indoor health they're bad for our outdoor you know like planet like we need to get rid of them and there's this better technology we can replace it with whereas the people against it are like I will, you can pry the gas from my gold dead hands. I'm never going electric. That shit's terrible. You can't make me. And it's just like, this is one of those weird things where like just those broad outlines of the debate, I kind, I get where each side is coming from because they're coming from two completely different places. The place where the cold dead hands people are coming from is where you is what you're talking about. The people who have put up with like shitty electric stovetops their whole lives and know how terrible there are they are or have, you know, eventually switched to gas and are like, you are never making me going back to that shit. So this is where, like, I think the talking past each other comes from. There are two fundamentally different types of electric cooking surfaces. One is what you use, the old school electric cooktops that are these are the ones that get red when they get hot and um, take forever to warm up, keep the surface hot forever and take like 45 minutes to boil pot of pasta. Right. We have uh, and like these. these This is what I have. It's a nightmare. The the thing I hate the most. There's a lot of things I hate about it. Sorry. Go off on it. Go I just got to like do it. But Go off. the yeah, the the fact that it's hot forever and if you boil a pot of water on that thing and it boils over and you get a little bit of that salty water on the top of it and it burns, you're never getting that shit off. It's a nightmare. It's a nightmare, Aaron. I mean, it sounds it sounds awful. I would never ever want to use one of those if I was ever subjected to one and I thought someone was going to make me use it again, I would be like, "No, never." So that's one type. Those have been around for a long time. There are 
literally tens, if not hundreds of millions. I mean, I'm sure it's tens of millions of American households that have these very popular. Lots of people hate them. The other type, which I referred to earlier, is the same type as the cooktop I have, the induction cooktop. Now, this also is electric, but it heats in a completely different way. The electric you have basically works the same way in terms of like the cooking dynamics as a gas stove. The concept is you heat up a surface. Some of that heat also heats the pot and the whatever's inside the pot or the pan. And a lot of the heat doesn't. A lot of the heat goes elsewhere, heats up other stuff. Induction uh, uses magnets, like magnetism, to heat the pot itself. It doesn't actually get hot. And it heats the pot itself. The the stove top doesn't actually get hot. It gets a little hot, but it doesn't get like, it doesn't get to the same temperature as, you know, like if you, if you turn on a flame on a gas stove and then it heats up the surface. It's one of those things where you describe it and it sounds like magic and it kind of is. And that's both what Mm. makes it so wonderful and also what makes it very hard to convince other people of. It's kind of like one of those catch-22s. I'm deeply suspicious, but, yes. Yeah, so I've been using the induction cooktop for about a, for more than a year now. And what I've found is that it boils pasta, you know, a pot of water for pasta, in about half the time as my gas range. It is super easy to use because you can select the exact temperature you want the cooking surface to be. So instead of setting, you can set a level like on a scale of one to 10, but you can also set a temperature. Like I want the cooking surface to be 375 degrees. And, you know, it'll take some you know time to learn what the right temperature is for certain thi- certain food you're cooking, just like it does with any oven or range you're using. But once you figure it out, it's super precise you can control everything with a kind of precision precision that you can't with any other uh, cooking type. How big a and how big a pot can you put on this hundred dollar one you got? Full size. I use a Dutch oven on there all the time. And it works perfectly. Like a full size, like a full on. Really, for a hundred bucks, I can get one of these and try it out. Yeah, man. That's that was so. That was why I got it. I got it because I was literally like, "That sounds wild. I I need to try it." And I bought it, and it's now the main thing I use. Um, the other thing about it is, you know, you talked about cleaning on the electric surface, which sounds fucking terrible. This one, once you turn it off and you take the pot off, it cools down. I mean, like it's cool to the touch in a matter of minutes. It warns you not to touch it immediately afterwards. Um, I think mostly just for liability reasons, but like I've touched it literally a minute after I turned it off from being on high and it was cool enough to touch. And th- so nothing burns on to the surface. It, you can, you know, if you spill something, it won't heat up that much. And so you can wipe it off super easily. Um, I've never spent more than 10 seconds cleaning it before. And yeah, it's just, I mean, like it's, it's, so it's better to the degree. And I say this not to like sell anyone on induction cooktops, although I know I sound that way. I promise I have no financial interest in this technology or any company that sells it. But like, I say this because I say this to convey my confusion when I see people so opposed to getting rid of gas. Because to me, it's like, why are people so attached to this? 
technology that to, to me appears so obviously inferior. Like it took literally 48 hours of, after getting this thing to the point where every time I have to turn on the gas stove, I'm like, why the fuck am I cooking with fire like a goddamn caveman? Like, surely we've progressed past this as a, as a species. And indeed we have. And so it's just like, it's, it's very bizarre to me. So that's kind of like, so as, as I kind of like was trying to figure out why this was, you know, I would talk to family and friends and whatever about like, you know, what, you know, it might come up when we were talking about cooking or whatever, you know, I'd say, oh yeah, I got this new induction cooktop and it's great. And we talk about it and a lot of people, you know, said to me in response, something to the effect of, oh, well, I'll never go, you know, leave gas or I'll never switch from gas. And I, and to a person, every single time I like ask why, or I get in the conversation, I learn they think this because their version of electric cooktops, the only one they know is the version that you've dealt with your whole life. And it sucks. And I totally get why someone wouldn't want to switch from that. Nobody knows about induction. I oh, feel I'm, like I'm or why to, it's different and better. I'm used to gas. That's what I grew up with. That's what I had in the previous place. I lived. This is the first place I've had, uh, an electric cooktop stove. And it's because I can't, there's no gas line to this house. Like I can't get, uh, I, I couldn't get a gas stove if I wanted it. Right. So uh, this is kind of an interesting aspect of the culture war angle, um, which is that you'd expect from the kind of like Republican Democrat split on kind of the regulatory state and issuing new regulations to combat climate change that gas would be primarily used in Republican states and Democrats would primarily be using electric. But it's actually the exact opposite for reasons that have to do with just kind of like when gas rolled out as a cooking method across the country and when cities installed gas lines versus electric lines. The long and short of it is California and New York City and its suburbs have by far the highest rates of gas for cooking usage in the country. And by far the lowest rates are the are the states that are like most into the culture war angles, which is like this, the Midwest, the South and the Southwest. So there's like this weird inverse of the actual relationship you'd think here. Yeah. Because um, it requires putting gas lines down is a surprisingly comp, not maybe not surprisingly complicated, dangerous, a uh, bit of infrastructural work. Um, and so places like where I live in the South uh, they're not always want to do it depending on where they're going. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. Let, let me, let me broaden our horizons here just a little bit. Um, cause it feels like maybe 2023 is just off to a rollicking start, but why does it feel like these are the kinds of only political discussions that we have in this country anymore, you're looking at me like I'm completely wrong. Like you're rejecting the premise entirely, which is, which is totally fine. Maybe I think this is absolutely nothing new is okay. kind of my response to it. So like going, you know, I think like one of the most, one of the most common examples here would be seatbelt laws. Right. Where like, if you go, I, I highly encourage listeners, curious listeners to go back and read the kind of rhetoric around the debates of seatbelt laws in the 70s and 80s. It is the most batshit stuff. Like, up there with anything you would hear 
any extreme politician say today about any new regulation. Like people acted like seatbelt laws would like that seatbelts would would somehow tear the literal fabric of the Constitution and the country would cease to exist if seatbelt laws were enacted. Like the rhetoric was absolutely insane. And like, obviously, seatbelts are wonderful. They save tens, if not hundreds of thousands of lives a year. They're, you know, extremely simple technology that makes our lives better and don't really have any negative impact on people's lives whatsoever. Uh, It's just like it's I mean, like the, the but, you know, people were saying like women would be defiled by having to put this belt around their body. I mean, like there was all these kinds of like disingenuous, like women's rights angles being put forward by, of course, all men. And there was just like it was just incredibly bizarre. And so, like, I look back at debates like that debates around the catalytic converter, which is another example of like an emissions reducing technology, an incredibly important one that increased the average cost of a car by twenty five to forty dollars, but would prevent the release of tens of millions of pounds of toxic substances into the air every year and was treated as if it's mandation or it being mandated in the country would like destroy the auto industry, literally destroy the auto industry. Uh, spoiler, it did not. And so like, I think this is just how we discuss issues in this country. Like we have to get past this. Like I, when I say we, I mean like any time, a new regulation for something lots of people use is discussed. It feels like we have to first go through this phase in which we debate whether or not the country can survive such turmoil of, of whatever this change will be. And then eventually like either the rhetoric simmers down or people get distracted or just like, it takes so long to actually enact the regulations that people kind of naturally calm down over time or what happens more often, which is like the regulation ends up being the long tail of what is a kind of natural market transition because just people realize like not killing themselves with indoor air pollution or cooking with a more effective technology or not choking on their own, on their car's own exhaust or, you know, not dying in a car crash is just, like, better. I have so a, they want it. I have a very visceral run for you. Please. Um, I have friends. This is not my personal experience, but I have friends who have this memory. I'm old enough that I have friends in Texas uh, that had parents that were upset that they could not drink in the car anymore while it yeah, was in motion. Yeah, good one. That uh, they were they were convinced that this was uh, besmirching their freedom, and the laws were passed recently enough there that they have memories of watching their fathers drink and drive in front of them, and being upset that they could no longer do this. So yeah, drinking and driving was another big thing. Um, so was like regulations so that the steering wheel of cars didn't. Uh, strongly resemble the uh actual dynamics of a spear so that if you got into like literally any kind of fender bender you risked being impaled by your own steering wheel this was a thing that happened to a lot of people in the 1950s 
because car steering wheels like were on these rods with sharp ends that stuck out from the dashboard. At one point, General Motors made a model that they sold in many different, uh, you know, many of their different sub brands where the dashboard had this like ornamental feature that it put in for design reasons that was literally spikes. And so it was like if for and, and this was before seatbelts. So if you got into a like any kind of fender bender or had to slam on the brakes or whatever, like there were passengers who got impaled by these little spikes that had absolutely no reason to exist in the car. And this was like, you know, this was before, obviously, all of these regulatory agencies and apparatuses were set up to prevent this kind of thing. And I think so it's like we just go through this as a country, like anytime someone has an idea of making things safer with really no negative drawbacks, you know, that like we have to invent negative drawbacks to then create some kind of debate around it when really it's just like a good idea that we should do. America's a blood sport, Aaron. Sure is. Speaking of uh, televised uh, combat, I do want to, before we let you go, I do want to talk about one more set of stories that you wrote recently. Um, so as Kevin McCarthy was a very American centered story. Again, we apologize as if Kevin McCarthy was attempting to secure the speakership in the U S house. Uh, watchers in America were captivated by C-SPAN. That's right. C-SPAN. Uh, if you don't know what C-SPAN is, Aaron, what is C-SPAN? C-SPAN is a cable news network and online stream that is a not-for-profit funded by the cable news industry that I would say is largely known as airing boring content. Uh, it's like a, a it's usually a punchline in kind of American culture as like the boring channel because it features talking heads talking about public policy issues or airing live con- uh, like live congressional events like speeches and whatnot and congressional hearings from Capitol Hill. Right. But it got really spicy during this uh, speakership fight and it got kind of spicy for some interesting reasons. So there's cameras on, it's kind of been one of my favorite features of American democracy actually, is that there are cameras in the chambers running all the time. And there's a channel that you can just flip to, to see what's going on. I like that we can do that. Uh, Usually, though, it is very boring. While the speakership fight was going on, it was not very boring, but there's a very specific reason why. Uh, So the the difference between the way C-SPAN was able to cover the speaker fight versus all of its other content is uh, they were able to have their own cameras in the chambers during the whole speaker fight. Usually they're not. And uh, the reason for this is kind of confusing. I'll try and make it as, as simple as possible. Basically, whenever you're watching C-SPAN or any other kind of airing of a speech in the House of Representatives, you're watching cameras that are controlled by what's called the House Recording Studio, which is a group of government employees operating under rules that the House of Representatives itself sets. And those rules are very restrictive and basically say you can only have the camera on whoever is speaking at the podium at any given time um, or extremely wide angle chamber wide shots that, you know, are so wide you like can't even see any particular people. Um, And so what that means is uh, 
C-SPAN and anyone else airing these things is deprived of such things as like reaction shots or, you know, recording kind of like sidebar conversations from a distance and just generally like seeing what's going on in the chamber as a whole during all the action. Uh, that's something that people like reporters or spectators in the gallery can do. It's not like it's out of view. Um, it's just literally the rules of recording in the chambers. Now there's always been an exception to this, which is like special events. Um, so for example, people have watched the state of the union address or joint sessions of Congress or previous speaker election speaker votes. Um, know that like there will often be shots of like other people in the chamber or like celebrities or dignitaries or whatever. And that's because prior to those events, C-SPAN and the other networks ask the Speaker of the House for permission to bring the cameras in. And the Speaker of the House traditionally agrees and gives one network basically pool access. Um, pool access just means if you like they allow one network to bring cameras in and they share the footage with everybody else just as a way to like save space. So for this, it's been tradition over the last two decades or so that C-SPAN will have the cameras in for the speaker election. And so what usually the speaker election takes like a few hours is over and like nobody knows it even happened. Obviously that didn't happen this time. And so because the speaker election went on for days and days and days and days and days, C-SPAN's cameras got to stay in there the whole time. And with their their own cameras in there, they could record whatever they liked. And so they were able to capture things like, you know, AOC talking to someone who had once posted about murdering her and like other kind of side and like, you know, McCarthy's reaction to to losing vote after vote after vote and like Gates generally slinking around like some kind of gigantic weirdo. And so like these types of things that everyone got to see and then meme and then post to the Internet and generally make fun of and that added like intrigue to the whole uh, week long event is something that normally we could never, ever do with a politically contentious event in the halls of Congress. And now C-SPAN would like to continue this way of working, right? Yeah, so C-SPAN has sent a handful of letters over its history um, to the Speaker of the House, uh, basically asking for permission to install its own remotely controlled cameras in the House so that it can do this all the time. Uh, those requests have always been denied, whether the speaker was Democrat or Republican, because it turns out the only thing politicians can agree on is that they should have as much control as possible over their own image. Um, and that after they, uh, when I, when I wrote my first story about this earlier in the week, I talked to, um, an executive at C-SPAN, uh, who said that like, he wasn't aware of any conversations to send another letter with the same request. Um, to whoever won the speaker election, but he wouldn't be, you know, he wouldn't have been surprised if they would, because it's been a pretty consistent request through their entire history. Um, and sure enough, I think it was on Monday or maybe it was yesterday. Um, C-SPAN did indeed send a letter to Kevin McCarthy asking for that same thing. Um, I will not be holding my breath for him to be giving permission to do it because if anyone has been, um, owned by the presence of multiple camera angles more than Kevin McCarthy recently. I'm not sure who that person is. Oh, too loud. Too loud at the end. I'm so sorry. 
Uh, Aaron Gordon, thank you so much for coming on to Cyber and walking us through gas stoves and C-SPAN. If there is another culture war flare-up in America, uh, will you come back and talk to us about it? Do I have to? Yeah, you do. All right, I will then. (laughs) (laughs) If you like us, if you really like us, please go follow us on Twitch and YouTube. We're at youtube.com forward slash motherboard and twitch.tv forward slash motherboard TV. You can sign up to follow us when we go live, uh, which we will be doing again next week. We will see you then. Stay safe out there on the internet. It is a dangerous place. Goodbye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.